Listen. Let us answer this question. Is America following in the footsteps of the Roman Republic? Stay tuned as we connect some dots in this week's Liberty Minute. Welcome to the Theory to Action podcast, where we examine the timeless treasures of wisdom from the great books in less time to help you take action immediately and ultimately to create and lead a flourishing life. Now, here's your host, David Kaiser. Hello, I am David, and welcome back to the Liberty Minute. So today we're going to attempt to answer this question that keeps coming up time and time again in our culture. And that question is... America, following in the same footsteps as the Roman Republic. And will we know when America's Rubicon moment has happened? And those are both great questions. And to answer it truthfully, I'm not sure if we will ever know when we have had that American Rubicon moment. And is America following in the footsteps of the Roman Republic? I'm not sure of that answer either, but it's fun to explore this theme. So for that, let's get started. Now, if you remember, the Roman Republic started in 509 BC, where traditionally that's the founding year when uh, the, the founding of the city of Rome happens. And then that, those people, Romans, officially Romans, they grew that area in stature and in geography. It was a mix of Latin and Etruscan societies. And then at the height of the Roman Republic, most likely most historians peg it at the beginning of the first century BC, with most of its armies dominating much of the Mediterranean world, little did those citizens of the Roman Republic, and we should emphasize the word citizen because that meant something to the Romans. Little did these citizens know that their whole culture and their whole way of life, and in fact, their whole Roman Republic would soon end within some 75 years. Now, as a side note, we should, in these future Liberty Minutes, we should study Victor Davis Hanson's The Dying Citizen. It's a fantastic book. He's a great classicist, and he puts everything uh, in a proper perspective for us. He weaves some threads and connects a lot of dots within that book. So we should be studying that book. Beginning back to our topic of today. Little did these Roman citizens believe that anything in this grand country of theirs could be taken away. When they sat there in 100 BC, they looked out on their world. They were dominating everything. And these citizens had much to lose. In fact, they had their civil liberties. They had their property rights enshrined in Roman law. 
They had their freedoms. They had their sense of civilization. They had this extreme sense of virtue in the person. A Roman person was to be virtuous. Their sense of civility that came from the very civilization that they had created. So this question keeps coming up again and again with many historians and commentators about where Rome as a republic was and where is America now as a republic. So I thought we should spend some time unpacking these ideas and connecting some dots. So to do so, let's pull from our virtual bookshelf two books, one we have covered before and one we have not. First, we're going to pull, we're going to consult from Mike Duncan's incredible work, The Storm Before the Storm, which we have covered in this podcast before. Check out episode 91, where we briefly mention this excellent book. And then as an aside, this book is going to be part of the Academy Review membership. So members, you will get this book covered in its entirety. All the great key ideas, all the great good, the great takeaways. It's going to show up in your membership podcast as of tomorrow night, Sunday at 8 p.m. And then our second book is Rome and America, the Great Republic's What the Fall of the Roman Republic Pretends for the United States by Walter Signorelli. Signorelli. And it was written in 2018. It's a it's a great little book. Uh, it can certainly help us along our journey. It can point out some great facts like a good guide would. But before we jump into that book, let us consult one of the great books of all time. We're going to pull one paragraph that pretty much summed up the whole Roman Republic time period for some 500 years. And we're going to pull that quote from Tacitus's, Tacitus and his annals of history. Quote, in Rome's earliest years as a city, its rulers were kings. Then Lucius Junus Brutus created the consulate and free Republican institutions in general. Dictatorships were assumed in emergencies. The regimes of the Council of Ten did not last more than two years. And then there was a short-lived arrangement by which senior army officers, the commanders of tribal contingents, had consular authority. Subsequently, Cinna and Sulla set up autocracies, but they too were brief. And soon Pompey and Crassius acquired predominant positions, but rapidly lost them to Caesar. Next, the military strength, which Lepidus and Antony had built up, was absorbed by Augustus and he found the whole state exhausted by internal dissensions and established over it a personal regime known as the Principate. The Principate. End of quote. So just like Rome with its kings, America had begun with its presidency and even stronger executive authority than the Articles of Confederation had given to one person, if you remember back to our history books. And here, Walter, in his book, The Great Republics, he has some good comparisons. He says, Rome was instituted with a dual legislature, 
with its Senate and its popular assembly. The United States established a two-branch Congress with its Senate and its House of Representatives. The Romans made changes to their government institutions depending on the changing circumstances of the day. The U.S. had changed its notion of federalism and power divided between the federal and state governments. And the greatest accomplishment for both countries, in my personal opinion, despite the early struggles and the existential wars, but both nations, both republics, provided opportunities and upward mobility for millions of people. And Walter speaks on this heavily. Now, to me, that is indeed the greatest contribution that both republics could have made and did make to the world. So in one word, it's liberty. And we take that word uh, quite seriously here on the Liberty Minute. It's the namesake of this podcast episode each and every week. We try to find different aspects of liberty to keep that drum of liberty beating in your heart because it should be the DNA in every American citizen as it was the DNA in every Roman citizen, this notion of freedom. So now let us turn back to Walter's book to begin to answer this question. And Walter opens his book with a great quote from Charles Murray in his book, Coming Apart, where he addresses directly this question, is America going down the path of the Roman Republic? Going back to the book. Quote, but how much room does the American project have left? The historical precedent is Rome in terms of wealth, military might, and territorial reach. Rome was at its peak under the emperors, but Rome's initial downward step five centuries before the eventual fall of the Western Roman Empire was its loss of the Republic when Caesar became the first emperor. Was that loss important? Not in material terms, but for Romans who treasured their Republic, it was a tragedy that no amount of imperial splendor could redeem. The United States faces a similar prospect, remaining as wealthy and powerful as ever, but leaving its heritage behind. The successor state need not be one ruled by emperors. We may continue to have a president and a Congress and a Supreme Court, but the United States will be just one more in history's procession of dominant nations. Everything that makes America exceptional will have disappeared. End of quote. And that is a frightening outlook. Everything that makes America exceptional will have disappeared. But to clarify, though, let's ask the question about each of these republics' histories. Are they similar? Is the United States and the Roman Republic, if, is their histories similar? And I thought this is where Walter's book offers some good summaries of both of the republics, and it provides us a good start. Let's go back to Walter's book. Quote, although the five centuries of the Roman Republic cannot be exactly matched with the history of the United States, many distinct periods and events in Rome and America present remarkable similarities. This book examines a wide 
array of subjects common to both nations, including the formation of the Republic, the determined character of the people, military victories, slavery, class conflicts, political partisanship, exorbitant wealth, commitment to the rule of law, the responsibilities and dangers of world hegemony, and the leadership of extraordinary individuals who changed the course of history. Both, rebu- both republics rather, evolved from humble beginnings into the most powerful nations of their times, and they expanded commerce and prosperity in the broadest terms. They absorbed people from surrounding nations and cultures, gradually welcome, welcoming them as full citizens. They sanctified individual rights and liberties, protected nations and peoples beyond their borders, and came to believe in their own exceptionalism and manifest destinies. Beyond these simplified histories, countless political, economic, and social parallels exist between the republics. Some are superficial, but others are quite fundamental and significant. And both republics experience similar events and evolutions, although not necessarily in the same sequences. Illustrations depicting the timeline of historical events and evolutions cannot be superimposed one over the other to show the similar to this, to show a same linear pattern. An event from the later days of the Roman Republic may coincide with an event from the beginning of the American Republic. And conversely, A parallel event from the early days of Rome may coincide with an event from the later days of the United States. End of quote. And that's a very important point we should keep in mind. And Walter does a great job emphasizing this point. An event from the later days of the Roman Republic may coincide with an event from the beginning of the American Republic. But conversely, a parallel event from the early days of Rome may coincide with an event from the later days of the United States, end of quote. So that is one very good nugget of wisdom that most people, when talking about this theme or this question, trying to answer this question, struggling with it, they forget. They try to over, uh, they try to superimpose one republic to the other. And that just, that's, uh, that's not fair to either republics. So that's a very good nuisance, but in the bigger scheme, let us ask the question maybe a little bit differently. Can America learn from the fall of the Roman Republic and how not to make the same mistakes again? To that question, I would have the answer of emphatically yes. Let's go back to the book to keep exploring. Quote, the American Republic has reached a point in its evolution that it's comparable to the time of the greatest Roman conquests. Notably, at their military and economic heights, both nations saw the strengths of their political and social institutions begin to decline. In Rome, political partisanship undermined respect for the Senate, the state religion, and the patron-client system. In America, the institutions of society, government, the church, the press, the police, education, Wall Street, the banks, have all been the subject of intense criticism and systematic subversion. Extreme and inflexible partisanship had inhibited and prevented legislative compromise. 
In reaction, presidents have circumvented Congress by issuing executive orders to implement their programs and policies, leading many to characterize the office as the imperial presidency. To draw a Roman analogy, this is akin to the councilship of Julius Caesar in 59 BC when he circumvented the Senate, excluding and displaced his council, or his co-counsel rather, Marcus Capernia Bilbulus, and forced his programs through the tribal assembly without regard to the traditional constitutional checks and balances. Instead of naming 59 BC the consular year of Caesar and Biblius, as consular years were normally named, it became known as the consular year of Caesar, rather of Julius and Caesar. Caesar's unlawful actions in 59 BC set in motion a chain of events that culminated in the crossing of the Rubicon in 48 BC, his assassination in 44 BC, and the emperorship of Augustus Caesar in 26 BC. End of quote. So let's stop here and take a virtual knee, so to speak, and look around. Let's understand this thread that has been woven connecting these themes. Almost everyone begins with the consulship of Julius Caesar in 59 BC, but folks, things began breaking down way before that. We got to go back to Sulla as late as the 80s BC, some 20 years before. So to keep everything in order, Sulla is all the way back in the 80s. And then eventually you have Caesar with his unlawful actions in 59 BC. He crosses the Rubicon in 48 BC, which is a big deal. And then you have Caesar who's assassinated in 44 BC. And then Augustus as emperor ends the Republic in 26 BC. So understand that there were some 50 to 60 years from the 80s to the 20s BC as the Republic was constantly being chipped away at. Let's go back to the book, because here is where I thought Walter's book got extremely interesting and where we can start connecting even more dots. Quote, in the United States, the growing powers of the presidency and, and increasingly acrimonious partisan politics have brought the nation to a situation similar to what the Romans faced as they careened toward the civil war between the Caesarian and the senatorial parties. Neither the Republican nor the Democratic Party has demonstrated the capability to unify the nation. Their primary mission seemed to be to oppose and obstruct the other party. With legislation frequently stalemated, future presidents will increasingly resort to executive orders and other tactics to bypass the Congress further subverting our system of checks and balances. These and other other troubling developments have raised questions about whether our Republic will survive or fall apart as the Roman Republic did, or whether it will be transformed into a different form of government, perhaps something similar to Rome's imperial autocracy. End of quote. And here I have to wholeheartedly agree because these are very troubling developments indeed. You can see that the Roman Republic began to topple and fall, that there was specific things that happened, markers, if you will. 
Walter says, quote, further subverting the system of checks and balances. And presidents issuing executive order after executive order. This has happened under Obama, who started it. Now Trump, who was in reaction to it. And now Biden, who has reacted to Trump. And then Congress is not holding regular meetings. That body has not been in regular order of business for some time. And that is part and parcel of the structure of our government. And that's how things get off the rails when things are not being followed. Did you know that we have spent some $40 billion, that's $40B billion, in the aid to Ukraine? That's just an extreme shit ton of money. There has been no debate. There's been no oversight. There's been no regular meetings. There's been no regular hearings. And where is this money going? Who's getting this money? Is it getting in the right hands or is it getting into evil hands? We don't know. Both political parties are out to lunch. Both Democrats and Republicans are voting for this stuff time and time again. And no one raises a stink about it. There's been zero appropriations bills debated in this Congress. Zero. When I was working there on the Hill, each year we had to, each Congress we had to pass either 12 or 13 of these appropriations bills each and every year. But now there's, there's no stink raised, nothing. No one even pipes up. Not even a Republican has said a word. So how did the Roman Republic eventually fall? Let's go back to our book for some more goodness and can to connect some more dots. Quote, as would be predicted by Polybus's constitutional theory, the restored domination of the senatorial oligarchy provoked popularity demagogues, leading to an even more ferocious series of civil wars in the 40s and 30s. But Polybian theory did not hold for long. The fall of the senatorial oligarchy was precipitated by rhetorical populist, but their aim was never democracy, nor did democracy follow. Instead, weary of a generation of civil war, the Romans moved directly to the stable hand of an enlightened monarch. Unlike Sulla, however, when Augustus ascended to the sole power, he did not retire. So in the end, Sulla's constitution did not lead to the permanent triumph of the aristocratic element, but rather the permanent triumph of the monarchical element. And though there would never be another king of Rome, there would be emperors. And they would rule Rome for a very long time. End of quote. And so the Sulla in this quote is one Lucius Cornelius Sulla. He was born in 138 BC. He belonged to one of the oldest patrician families. And just like in today's America, if we lived back then, some people would have said of Sulla, he has a good heart. He is trying to do the right thing. But Sulla broke a lot of Roman precedents. And this is how the Roman Republic began to be shattered.
He marched on Rome in 88 BC to stamp out a civil war, one of many that would start up over the next 40 to 50 years. Never before had a consul marched on Rome because law and order would eventually break down in various parts of the Republic. Civil wars were always starting up. Doesn't that sound almost like today's America? And so Sala allowed himself eventually to be appointed a military dictator. There was a legal loophole at the time because after all in civil war, this is an emergency. And as Americans, we know quite well what emergencies look like, don't we? It's just two weeks to slow the spread, so they said. And two years later, they were still in an emergency. So Sola's military dictatorship was allowed by the Senate at a time for six months. And then Sola appealed and received a lifetime dictator status. Breaking some rules with that one, eh? Never before had the six-month rule been, quote, extended. It was now. But eventually, Sulla resigned the position and retired to his country estate. When Sulla died in 78 BC, in his own mind, he thought he had saved and restored the best of the Roman world, the best of his Roman Republic but instead he had weakened it even more. When we look back and see all the reasons for the downfall of the Roman Republic, it all seems so easy to identify, but yet so hard for those that were in the thick of the fight to see that they were dismantling their own country. For starters, the rampant corruption. That sounds much like today's Washington, D.C., doesn't it? And we'll talk about that complete corruption of our nation's capital in later Liberty Minutes for sure. Another reason for the fall of the Roman Republic was the fiscal woes of not keeping your financial house in order. Well, America's grade on their financial house is not very good. Government debt of 127% of a debt ratio to GDP is not, not good. Another reason for the fall of the Roman Republic, overextension of its Roman legions all over the Mediterranean. Well, we look at America today. We're sending a lot of money to Ukraine to the tune of $40 billion, like we just talked about. We don't have forces there, but boy, we're sending a lot, an awful lot of money. And then the fourth reason for the downfall of the Roman Republic was the introduction and continuation of violence as a political tool. And while we don't have physical violence yet, we certainly have censorship and we have those dirty pull tactics just happened in the 2020 election that gives a lot of historians and political commentators pause. There's a general feeling of nervousness because they have seen this movie before and it doesn't look good. And the final straw that broke the Roman Republic's back 
eventually their elections were fraudulent. Their elections were meaningless. Roman citizens throughout the whole republic eventually came to terms with that. They knew that their elections could not be trusted. And when that happens in the United States, then the republic will be gone. It will be like a sun setting over the horizon. It will just slip across the horizon and night will fall. And then we will be living in a post-constitutional republic then. And in fact, we might be living in a post-constitutional republic right now. No one is for sure. That being said, let's now come back to our great book, The Storm Before the Storm, and let's talk about this most famous time period of the Roman Republic that we've all studied, Shakespeare talked about, but which you know now because we have connected so many dots that this most famous time period was just a mere formality on the ending of the Roman Republic. Let's go back to the book, The Storm Before the Storm. And here we pick it up. After the crossing of the Rubicon in 49, Caesar defeated all his enemies and had himself declared dictator for life. And here's the cherry on top. Mocking Sulla, Caesar said in 49 BC, crossing the Rubicon, Sulla did not know his ABCs when he laid down his dictatorship. End of quote. And Caesar clearly did not plan to relinquish this this dictatorship. And so a gang of senators led by Brutus and Cassius murdered him in 44 BC. And after the Ides of March, Caesar's heirs, Octavian and Mark Antony, combined to defeat the remnants of the Senate and then waged a civil war against each other for control of the whole empire. Victorious over all his enemies, Octavian transformed himself into Augustus. In 27 BC, and the Roman Republic transformed itself into the Roman Empire. End of quote. And in one of the most famous quotes from this time period, Pompey was supposedly had said about how far the constitutional order had fallen. In response to a question, or a statement rather, Pompey snapped back, Cease quoting laws to us that have swords. End of quote. And that is when you know that you no longer live in a republic. So in today's Liberty Minute, let our generation, those of us listening to this now, let our generation not let the Constitutional Republic just slip away. Let us appreciate our liberty. Let us appreciate these United States as the greatest country in the world. And let us preserve this last best hope for mankind, as Abraham Lincoln said of it. In fact, let us close with one of our greatest presidents, Abraham Lincoln. Let us close with his closing message to the Congress in December of 1862, which was a dreadful year for this country. Because I think it'd be altogether fitting to end this Liberty Minute with Lincoln's words. 
And here they are, quote, fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor to the last generation. We say we are for the union and the world will not forget that we say this. We know how to save the union. The world knows we do know how to save it. We, even we here, hold the power and bear the responsibility. In giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free. Honorable alike in what we give and what we preserve. We shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. Other means may succeed. This could not fail. The way is plain, peaceful, and generous. Just a way which, if followed, the world will forever applaud. And God must forever bless. End of quote. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this Theory to Action podcast. Be sure to check out our show page at teammojoacademy.com where we have everything we discussed in this podcast as well as other great resources. Until next time, keep getting your mojo on. Are you a voracious reader who yearns for a deeper understanding of your favorite books? Or perhaps you're a busy professional seeking to enrich your knowledge, but short on time. The Mojo Academy 2.0 is your perfect solution. Our revamped service now includes beautifully designed monthly written reviews and PDF format to accompany our popular audio reviews. These aren't just summaries. These are comprehensive and insightful explorations of each book, packed with the actual quotes from the book to enhance your understanding. With usually six to nine pages per review, they are perfect reference tools to take your learning to the next level. Get your free Mojo Academy review in written format at teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes for that free link. Again, teammojoacademy.com or click on today's show notes, and you will see the link for the free written review. Get yours today.